everyone. Welcome to the Let It Be podcast. I'm your host, Becky Ziegenfuss. Each show, I share conversations around purpose and promise. We talk about friendships, family, faith, all the favorite things. Make this your time. So whatever you have to do, let it go, let it wait, let it be. Welcome to part two of my conversation with Dr. Frank. If you haven't had a chance to listen to part one, stop right here and go back and check out the first part of our conversation. In the second half, you will hear the sincerity of Dr. Frank's heart, his desire to provide calm in the midst of this storm, and how for him, science is anchored and rooted in his faith. We pick up right after I asked Dr. Frank what we can expect in the fall you'll be encouraged. Take a listen to part two of my conversation with Dr. Doug Frank. So that makes total sense with the migrant workers. Um, What then would be if, if you remove that piece or if we can keep that contained, what is then your thought around what's coming this fall for the rest of the country if we continue doing what we're doing? Uh, it, we should think of it like um, like a, the flu season. The cold and flu season will be back, and COVID isn't gone, mm-hmm. and it usually takes a few years for a flu to work itself out through the country. I'm not saying that COVID is as good or better or worse than a flu. It's just it, it will follow those same patterns. I was just noticing yesterday, for example, that Australia, that's now coming into its flu season, guess what? It's going to have its second wave as well. Mm. So it's, in other words, we should just expect for the next couple of years that we're going to have to deal with this. But I uh, use an example of um, like the New York subways. New York had a particularly nasty epidemic because it had a really good vector for getting a lot of people infected in a hurry. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about it, you've got thousands of people standing nose to nose in a subway 20 minutes a day, twice a day. Right. Okay. So touching everything. Exactly. And snuggling essentially on the, on the subway. So everybody gets infected. Everybody takes it home. Uh, if grandma and grandpa, they they visit grandma and grandpa, then grandma and grandpa get sick and pass away. Right. So what's happened is there's a massive rapid infection that quickly spreads and, and, and kills kills the vulnerable people quickly. And that was a devastating hit to them. You know, it's, it's sad. But now now jump six months ahead. Okay, so it's the same or mostly the same people on the subways as before. Well, most of them have had it already. Right. So they're not carriers anymore, okay? And when they go home, grandma and grandpa have already been uh, ticked off. You know, they've already, they've already passed away. So it's going to be harder to find those vectors, mm-hmm. the easy vectors have already been exploited. And the most vulnerable people have already been exposed and passed away. So the, the, the next wave in New York would be much smaller. Mm-hmm. And it goes geometrically, it goes mathematically. So if you had half as many people that could be carriers, you're going to have a fourth as many sicknesses. And, and, but, and then as half as many people are vulnerable when they get home. So, you know, if you do that twice, it takes you down to, you know, an eighth or something like that. Right. And so my guess is the next waves are going to be, you know, order of magnitude smaller than the big first one. The first one kind of exploited all the easy ways. Right. And, and this time around, it should be 
much less. Now, now that's not to say, you know, think of it like a forest fire. A forest fire came through, it might have left completely vulnerable, untouched places. And if those get infections, they could they could copy what happened the first time. Right. So, it, and there are other factors going on too, like the, uh, the viruses tend to mutate. And the strongest forms of the vi- mutate, uh, strongest forms of the virus tend to take themselves out first because you think about it. If it's a strong form, it kills its host, so they're <laughs> it can't carry itself around as well. So it's the weaker forms that tend to survive. So there are a lot of things working to our favor. There should be less people getting infected, and as they're getting infected, they should be weaker and weaker infections and less and less deadly. So a lot of things working in our favor. So what I'm hearing is that we have hope. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! <laughs> Oh, yeah, I think so. And, you know, we normally have, people maybe don't realize this, but we normally have fifty or 60,000 people that die every year to the, because of flu. Right. Okay. And we don't have any of those this year. Why? Well, because people that are normally getting the flu aren't getting it because we've been, like, hunkering down and wearing masks. And, right. But they're getting COVID instead. So I'm not saying that it's good or bad or the same. It's just it's, a, it's about the same numbers. So, you know, next year we'll probably see more flu coming back too. Mm-hmm. It's pretty normal for us to lose that many people. It's sad, but it's, it's the way it is. A lot of people that I know in my circle are either science and math people or faith people because science is facts and faith is believing in something you can't see. But you introduced yourself as someone who is both. So how do you believe that faith and science are intertwined? Uh, how are they not? Mm. Um, people, for some reason, we've allowed our culture to convince us that science is something separate. But it, that just reveals a dramatic ignorance of history. Uh, if you read Newton's Principia, maybe m- the most important book of physics ever written, in the introduction, he says, it, it, it doesn't imply, he specifically says that he's written the book because of his belief in God, and he hopes that the physics that he is describing will convince people to believe in God. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just blatantly out there. Uh, Newton wrote more on Christology than he did on physics. So, in other words, his faith was an essential part of what he was doing. You know, scientists make an assumption. You know, when I do an experiment, I assume that there are laws of science and laws of nature that are working. That's an assumption. It could be the laws of physics are different on the moon than they are on Earth. But they're the same. Mm. In other words, there's an order in the universe that we assume. Okay, well, wait a minute. That That's a fundamental assumption. Where does that come from? Okay, well, that comes from a Christian belief. It's not an accident that science, modern Western science, was born in the church. Newton, Copernicus, Galileo, Kepler, Faraday, Maxwell, just go right down the line. Pascal, Boyle, they're all Christians. And they're not casual Christians. These guys also wrote about their faith. So it's, you know, people say, well, oh, no, they were just Christians because everybody is Christians. Well, you can only say that if you didn't read what they wrote. If you read what they wrote, you would, you would say, no, these are real Christians. These, these guys really believe this. Uh, Copernicus, um, as a priest, and the Catholic Church was brilliant in the way they handled him. Uh, they didn't like the science he was coming up with, so they basically equipped him with a fabulous laboratory <laughs> in a small <laughs> parish out in the countryside. 
<laughs> because they know the scientific temperament, which is so much curiosity. So they basically just got him diverted as far away as possible. <laughs> exactly. and, and the deal was that he couldn't uh, he couldn't publish his work, but but he could have all this wonderful equipment and do all this science. And so, but then after he passed away, his parishioners gathered his papers and published the revolution boost of uh, the the revolutions of the planets. And that's where that word revolutionized comes from. People. Oh. People, if, if you've read his book, you have a different view of the universe than if you hadn't. You are revolutionized. Wow. You see the world differently because of that. Now, to see the world differently because you started from a Christian worldview and it's affected the way everybody sees the world. Mm -hmm. Christianity is not in conflict with science. Science is a direct output of Christianity. I, I like to make the example with Nellie. She loves to color. She's always coloring, and she likes to draw, draw little pictures of me and her or mm. a flower or something like that, and she'll bring me a flower. And imagine that she brings me a picture, and I look at it, and I just set it aside. Oh, thank you, Nellie. No. What I do is she hands me that picture, and we sit down together, and we look at it. Oh, I like the way you made the stem green and this petal red and I like this pretty sunshine up here. And we look at it together and we appreciate it together. That's the way I show her that I love her and value her, right? And she, her offering to me of this, of this drawing is her way of saying, here's something that I made that I love. You know, will you share it with me, mm -hmm. right? So as a scientist, when I, I can look at a tree and I can say, cool tree, God. Or I could say, wow. Look at this. This is amazing engineering. Look at the xylem and the phloem and the chloroplast and the respiration. And look at the way the, the solar radiation is tuned for exactly this, this energy level that allows this carbohydrate to be manufactured in this way. I mean, for me to get into what is actually happening is a form of worship. Mm -hmm. It's a way of me appreciating. It's a, it's a way for me to draw a picture and then go to God and say, what do you think, God? And then he can sit down with me and he can say and appreciate it with me. I love when we talked before before this interview and you said, I'm a scientist because God gave me a science brain. <laughs> can you kind of develop that for us a little bit? Well, I think we're all different. And, um, you know, Nellie's not going to be a rocket scientist, but she's a world champion hugger. Mm -hmm. and she can walk into a room and every face will light up. And everybody's happy. That is her gift. Mm. And, and when I walk into a room, you know, I can wake up a lot of minds. That seems to be the gift that I have, right? I can teach, and I love to teach it. There's the happiest moment of my day is when a, a student's eyes get big and they, they have that aha moment. That's, like, inspiring to me. I just love that. So I have nothing to do with that. That's who I am. That's who I was born to be. And I love science. I'm, I'm fascinated by understanding. You know, uh, I do repair work in factories a lot of time, and I can always fix, fix problems. And people are like, how do you know how to fix everything? Well, I know how to fix everything because I know how everything works, because I'm fascinated by how everything works, and I want to know how everything works. I want to know how biology systems work. I want to know how about chemicals work. I want to know how physics work. I want to know how everything works. So, you know, even if I don't know, you could say, hey, this is broken. I'm going to find out because I'm curious. I want to know. And God wired you. I'm that wired way. that way. I'm, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I have nothing to do with that one. 
I can't take credit for that. I can take credit for uh, hard work over the years and and study and and that kind of thing. But, you know, a lot of people don't have the opportunities I've had either. So I don't, I can't take credit. I just, that's who I am. That's that's what God made me to be. That's such a great, a great perspective that I don't think a lot of people necessarily tune into in the ways that, that they maybe should. What are you hoping for really the nation, but I mean, specifically for the people who have become members of, of your group and who are following your brilliant mind, what are you <laughs> hoping comes out of what we as a nation have walked through together? Like for the page or for the nation? For Well, I mean, what would be your hope that would come out of this as a result of what we've gone through together, managing, navigating, living through COVID-19? What would be your hope? Wow. It's, it's, I'm an, I'm a scientist. So I tend to be ivory tower. I tend to be rose colored glasses. And when we first were coming into this, I was kind of, and I, you can see my posts and you can see what I was thinking at the time. And I was hoping it was going to be like a nine 11 event mm. where as a country, we aggressively came together to solve a problem together because people were going to be dying and mm. we needed to work together to address that. And, you know, and I can I remember at the time I was monitoring George Bush's approval ratings. He had a ninety percent approval rating in the country. I, there's no other president that's ever even come close to that. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he stood up and said, "You know what? We've been hurt. Let's come together. Let's address this problem." So when COVID first started, I was hoping that that's what would happen. I was mm-hmm. hoping that our leaders would say to us, "But that's not what's happened." Mm-hmm. And what's happened is amazing division. And what's happened is amazing corruption and amazing dishonesty in our reporting and in our state governments. It's just, it's blowing me away. And earlier, earlier on in the, in the epidemic, I was saying, you know, when people come to me and say, my state's lying to me about this, my state's lying to me, I'd say, no, 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 chill out. Chill right. out. We're in the middle of an epidemic. <laughs> We're right. not used to this. Give them the benefit of the doubt. I've monitored a lot of these epidemics abroad. There's always trouble at first. We have trouble with the numbers. Give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And it was, and I would tell people, chill out, wait. But as time has gone on, it's now become very apparent that that there's a strategy. And I even have epidemiologists on the page tell me this right to my face. There's a strategy in the way they report data deliberately to keep a heightened state of fear and they do that because they think if they scare us that they can protect us it's kind of like if your child is running into the street you can say you know there's this huge truck that's going to smush you Mm -hmm. and you try to scare your kid a little bit so that they won't go in the street you're doing it to help them the problem is, is, is that if every day you run into their room and scream at them and say, the truck's going to run you over, the truck's going to run over, and you show them videos of children being squashed by trucks, and you do this every day, then you end up traumatizing your child, and then you have a neurotic child for the rest of their life. So instead of our coming together as a country, it feels to me like we've generated all this political division and all this fear and all this trauma and people are not healthy. Right. And our country is broken. Mm-hmm. So my wish for our country would be that we heal from this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how that's going to happen. Um, that's going to 
be a, a real challenge. My son uh, is studying to be a minister. Mm. And he and I have talked about, before all the COVID stuff, what does our country need? If you're going to be a minister, why? And what are your goals going to be? And what what's, you know, and I think America is ready for a revival. Mm. And, you know, I would hate if... The, well, I shouldn't say, what if this is the catalyst? What if what if people realize that they can't trust their governments and maybe they should be putting their trust elsewhere? Mm-hmm. Maybe this is maybe this is a time when people, you know, maybe it's like foxhole conversion. <laughs> you know, pe- people will say, hey, well, I'm afraid. I'm going to look for places where there's no fear or less fear. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe, maybe that's... It would be interesting if a physical illness was used to reveal some spiritual brokenness that we as a nation, I mean, we have definitely a broken spiritual sickness that is, um, it's heartbreaking. I don't think COVID broke us. Mm. I think we're broken already and COVID just revealed revealed it it and exacerbated it. So it, it's like, you know, I don't want to get into politics, but we were already very divided as a country. And instead of this healing, it, it just made it worse. It just widened the rift and exaggerated the problem. So that it's sort of just exact. Now we know what the problem is. Right. Now, I don't know how to fix it yet. You use on your page, you use a lot of parables and stories out of scripture to drive home a point of peace or hope. Why do you do that? Well, um, early on, I mean, I've always like, I always like to make stories and parables to help mm-hmm. explain ideas. And I even do that with my super advanced students. In fact, I have a, a game we play. Let's say we're learning some fancy new math idea. Okay. And there's, if you were to walk in, it's like those cartoons where the board is full of all those funny equations. That's seriously what the room looks like, okay? <laughs> the board is full. And any casual person walking in the room would go, I have no idea what that is, okay? So I always say to my kids, you know, maybe the last five, 10 minutes, I'll say, all right, imagine that you are in the car driving home with mom tonight. And you have to explain to her what you learned today in this class. Can you explain it to them? And you don't get to draw anything on the board. You don't get to... And so they'll usually struggle around it. And it's sort of my barometer. How well did I do teaching that day? If they understand it, they'll be able to do that. If they don't understand it yet, if they can't do that yet, then they don't understand it yet, and I need to go back and I need to spend another day on that. Or sometimes they'll say, imagine that you've got your second grade brother in the car with you. How are you going to explain it to him? And if they can't reduce it to simple terms, then I don't think they get it yet. The better you understand it, the more simply you should be able to explain it. I think uh, the famous physicist Richard Feynman got me started down that road. He he was particularly brilliant at teaching amazingly complicated physics ideas with very simple ways. So I I like, and I'm following Jesus' example. I mean, is there anything more complicated than the incarnation? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) How can you explain that? Okay, God became a man, and how, how, how can you... Uh, a famous, uh, a famous, a friend of mine who's a chaplain was visiting the children's hospital one time, and he walked into a room. There was a little Down syndrome girl lying on the bed, and he 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 was in his chaplain robes, and 
he walked up to the bed and leaned over and his the cross that was hanging around his neck swung out over the little girl and she grabbed it and mm-hmm. and she she looked up at him and she said god and he said yes that's right little girl that's 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 a symbol for god and she looked at him right in the eyes and she said god died and he said that's the most profound theologian he'd ever met mm. and that that kind of lesson is what I try to do. If I can find the simplest way to explain an amazingly complicated idea, that's why I try to tell the parables. I do that same way with the graphics. You can, and lately, people that are on the page have noticed that. I'm trying to find ways of capturing a big, difficult idea. I mean, there are, there are hundreds of thousands of data points for a state. Mm-hmm. Okay? How can I show you that in one picture so that you understand it? And it doesn't take a lot of words, doesn't take a lot of math that you can look at and go, oh, I get it. That's why I write the stories. That's why I write the parables. I think people understand them. I agree. I think that there aren't a lot of science minds that are great storytellers. And I, I definitely think that that is a gift of yours. And I think that that is why so many people are trusting what you are sharing with, I mean, really with their day to day and what they can expect when they walk out that door that day. Where is there a particular scripture passage that you turn to for hope or that you would point people to for hope? Hmm. Or maybe a favorite one that you've shared? Yeah. I've been, I started them out, you know, when I did the Psalm passage, mm-hmm. that the response was so dramatic and rapid that I started thinking about that. And when I was in college, I used to begin every study session. I had a cubicle in the library. I had my Bible in there. And I used to start every study session. I would read the para- the Proverbs of the day. So if it was the, today what's it? Today's the 11th of the month. Mm-hmm. So I would read Proverbs 11. And because there are 31 Proverbs. And so you'd normally get to s- get through all the Proverbs that way. And it helps me to focus. And it helps me to bring my mind calm and and plus the wisdom. And, you know, my father used to say, uh, a smart man learns from his mistakes, but wise men learn from other people's mistakes. Mm. And so the nice thing about reading Proverbs is like you get to read all this collected experience and wisdom. And so, you know, so I still make mistakes, obviously, and sometimes I still have to learn the hard way. But the Proverbs are constantly reminding me of good, wise ways of doing things. So I like the Proverbs. So I started doing that at first on the page. And, right. and I just basically, and, and I normally, and people will notice the rhythm. I get criticized by this, but people don't like it. Um, it's a stream of consciousness page. Mm-hmm. I'm putting on the page what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay. And mm-hmm. if I'm, if I'm reading the Bible right now, I'm going to put the Bible there right now. Okay. And I have a topic for that. And you know, if you don't want to read that, fine, just skip over it, you know. It, it's not the majority of what's on the page, and they're sorted by topics, so just skip over it. Some people really react negatively to that. they like, well, this is supposed to be about science and math. Rah, rah, rah. And I was like, this is my page. This is my stream of consciousness. If you don't like it, you can go somewhere else. Okay, You're my guest at my dinner table, and we're having dessert sitting around the table together, and you're welcome to participate in this discussion if you'd <laughs> like, and if you don't like what we're serving, you go somewhere else. Okay, But that's what I'm doing right now. I'm thinking about this scripture right now. I'm and I've even noticed that sometimes my scientific posts throughout the day even re- 
reflect what I've been reading in, yeah. in the scripture. And so if you're trying to follow my stream of consciousness and trying to follow my thought, you need to know what I was reading that day. Right. And so that's, I would say, you know, my favorite, I'm, I'm kind of, a, not afraid, afraid's the wrong word. I'm trying to be smart about it. I didn't plan for the page to grow into this big popular thing with 26,000 people. I just, I, I, it wasn't what I was doing, but it's become that. So I sort of feel a responsibility now to not botch it up. And if I stay focused and I keep my center and I, and I start my days with scripture, I don't always put scripture on there, mm-hmm, but, right. but if I start my day with scripture and I start with focus and my heart is clean and my mind is focused, I think I do a better job. And sometimes it's depressing and sometimes it's scary and it's nice. Uh, I think the other people are feeling the same and, and they aren't isolated from the media like I am. So I, they are probably more afraid. Right. So the calm focus discipline that the page brings to me is a place where other people can find that too. Yeah. And I, I a hundred percent agree with that. You told me when we talked that you were hoping that new leaders would come out because of this experience. And I think you underestimated yourself because I definitely think that you are one of those. And when I think of your page nearing 30,000 people and giving a platform that you didn't ask for in order to share facts, but at the same time, point people right back to Jesus and to the gospel, I think has been just an amazing gift to us and an amazing gift from, from the Lord to you to raise you up as one of those leaders. I, I mean, I just think that those 30,000 people didn't know who Dr. Frank was. I didn't know who Dr. Frank was four months ago. And I think that has been amazing. So I ask two questions at the end of my podcast. And the first one is this, when Dr. Frank isn't crushing numbers and looking at statistics, what does Dr. Frank love to do? Um, I like to uh, design things. If you were to come to my house to look at my basement, I have a huge area with a bunch of devices that I've been designing and building. I have one device that um, is a, a way to measuring the speed of the earth versus the universe. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I know Just something it, really simple. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a fun, you know, and what's ironic about that is if you look out through history, the major discoveries throughout time are not in some government laboratory sponsored by government research. They're almost always curiosity-driven basic experiments. In someone's basement. Yeah. And, and Mickelson Morley, the famous one that was in the basement. Yeah. So, um, you know, Hewlett Packard built their first PC in, a, in their garage, right? It mm-hmm. was a, okay. So I like that. And so I'm always tinkering. And I've got, that's probably what I'm doing. I'm tinkering, or I love to cuddle up on the couch and watch movies with the family. We don't watch regular television. We like to like, binge watch all the Hogan's Heroes episodes uh-huh. or, or all the Gilligan's Island episodes or Voyager or something like this, right? We, and Nellie loves to do that too. And uh, Nellie loves to play cards. Uh, she's fun to play checkers with. 
for a while, but she doesn't understand, I think, the idea that you're trying to win. <laughs> she just moves her checkers in front of yours so that you'll jump them because she just loves to see them jump. <laughs> so maybe that's the sort of thing. Maybe that's what I... That you'd love to do. Yeah, I'm a geek too. So sometimes I'm writing uh, computer software. I, I, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing because I love it. Right. Nobody's paying me to do the... Yeah. So it's, and you're spending hours. How many hours a day are you spending? Do you have any idea? Well, when they should I ask your wife? <laughs> yeah, when they yeah, we don't talk about COVID in my house. When uh, when when they closed the schools, mm-hmm. I suddenly had a lot of time. Right. I was still teaching Zoom classes and whatnot, mm-hmm. but I had a lot of time where I was indoors, and I was probably putting ten to twelve hours a day pretty wow. regularly on that. But it wasn't it wasn't merely just a hobby. It was also you know, am I safe? Is my family mm-hmm. safe? Right. Where, what's, what's going to happen in the world? And my mathematical and scientific skills allow me to make predictions like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love making predictions. That's a hobby of mine. So like, like, for example, I predicted the 2016 election and people are, people are like, how did you do that? And I said, well, here's all the math I used. And it was two to one that Trump was going to win. And people are like, you're just insane. There's no way that could possibly be. And then I show them the math. and I, This is how you do it. And I love making predictions. I predict sunspots. I predict mm. epidemics. I predict uh, all kinds of crazy things. So when I'm not trying to earn a living, I'm I'm doing what I love. Yeah. And I love, I can't, I'm, God made me this way. Yeah. Well, I'll let people go to your page and follow you for yeah. the next presidential <laughs> prediction. Yes. Okay. And lastly, this podcast is called Let It Be. So if you could pray a prayer over our listeners, what would it be? That the peace of God that passes all understanding would rain down on us like a gentle summer rain. Mm, That is beautiful. I'm with you on that. Let it be. Dr. Frank, thank you so much for giving of your time and sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and your brilliance with us. I have absolutely loved talking to you. I'm going to continue to follow this for as long as it goes. And I would love to have you back sometime down the road and maybe you can bring Nellie with you. I would love to have a quick conversation with her as well. She's fun. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for asking. I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Frank. And I hope we all learned a little something we didn't know before. Dr. Frank really does speak peace and hope into the current situation even as he shared his own prayer for the peace of God to rain down on us like a gentle summer rain. That prayer is a verse found in the book of Philippians chapter four. But what's amazing is that it's actually a promise. If you look one verse in front of it, it reads, do not be anxious about anything, anything, even a virus, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the promise. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let it be. Thanks for hanging with me for two episodes with Dr. Frank. I have more friends I can't wait for you to meet. 
In the meantime, stay up to date with me on all the social media platforms at Becky Ziegenfuss. That's Z-I-E-G-E-N-F-U-S-S. Have a great day and we'll meet again next week.